We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Thank you again for joining us. We've been walking through, some of you say you've been crawling through the book of Mark, kind of the the way I do things sometimes. We're ahead of Tommy, so uh, I'm not worried about going too fast. Uh, We're ahead of him, and a great sermon this morning teaching about the man with the withered hand, and you remember when we talked about that. What a testimony that was for that man when Jesus said, come forth. And he had to walk in front of that whole crowd. He had to put his life on the line, his reputation, what others thought about him. And he said, stretch forth your hand. And that, fan, that hand probably was ugly, deformed, withered away. He probably hidden it most of the time. And now the creator of the universe says, stretch forth your hand. He probably couldn't have stretched it forth because the muscles, the, the tendons, everything inside of his hand were not able to do that. But at the command of the word of God, he stretched forth his hand and it was made whole. That's the business our Lord's in. You may not have a withered hand here tonight, but you might have a withered heart. You might have a withered soul, a withered mind, a withered relationship, uh, emotions. Right now, uh, we are living in a world that emotions are so paramount in our life. When they go up and they go down and emotions are varied and We're going to talk about tonight, I pray, in this parable, exactly where we're just going through the book of Mark, a passage that speaks to exactly where we are in our country. I've studied this probably since uh, the early 1960s, late 1960s. Um, I'd never seen some of the things in the context that we'll look at here in a moment. I pray that you would be introspective, look inside your own heart and your own mind. I promise you, I'll do that for me too. But God's word is so infinite. It is so powerful. It's like reading when God chooses to. It's like reading a newspaper of the day's events. And so I'm excited to come and share with you. And I thank you for being with us. Those that are watching online, you're a part of us. And so we pray with you, worship with you, and we study God's word together with you. Jake read this parable that Jesus taught his disciples. We're going to see something in this passage that's kind of unusual. Not often did Jesus teach something and then give the explanation of the teaching. He didn't do that very often. He would teach a parable um, about something, but in this case, he's not going to teach a parable. But when they ask him, really, Jesus, what does this mean? He gives them the explanation. He expounds upon it. And so we learn a lot from that as Jesus is teaching about his teaching. He began to teach again by the sea is where it started in chapter four. The large crowd has come. Last week we talked about the crowds have been following Jesus. What have they been following him for? Some followed him for the miracles. Some followed him for the novelty. There's something new. You got to hear this guy. I've been a part of some new churches and it's, it's a wonderful, sweet time when churches start and they grow and, and it's exciting and, and everybody's on their knees praying and humble and serving the Lord. Uh, all churches don't stay that way. You get pretty close to the time when a lot of hard work is involved. And uh, here this man came and uh, the crowd followed Jesus for different reasons. Some of them followed him because they truly were being called and led to be believers. And that's what we pray for everyone. It says he was teaching them in parables. Parables, you probably have studied that since some of the time of Sunday school. They're earthly stories that show heavenly truths. Sometimes in the scripture, there are figures of speech um, in usually simple terms having to do with something in nature, something to do with a farmer, an athlete, or uh, something very, very common, a carpenter, uh, uh, about a boat, uh, waves on the sea, whatever it may be. They can be similes, analogies, remember your English for a little while, metaphors, allegories, proverbs, uh, but they reveal truth. The thing about parables as Jesus taught them, they reveal truth to whom he gives that truth. And they can be a story to someone who has no idea what it means. They're very simple words, but there's something different about the parables of Jesus. Let me read you a few, a few verses. Matthew 13, 16 Jesus said to his disciples, blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. Now, the, the opposite of that is there's some ears and eyes that aren't blessed. 
And that's very true. Parables are like stories that have a lock on them. Do you remember in Matthew 16 when Jesus said, who do men say that I am? And they said, well, some say you're Elijah, you're one of the prophets. And he asked him that question that I believe we all have to answer. Who do you say that I am? And Peter, Peter said, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. You remember what Jesus said to him? Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, but my Father which is in heaven. You know what he was telling him? You didn't get that understanding of who I was with any of your intellect, with any of your insight, your observation. You got it because God unlocked the mystery for you. God showed you who I was. This Bible, this wonderful truth, has words easy to be understood, and yet some of the most deep, complex words that have ever been contemplated or ever been written. This is a locked book. Uh, you've, all, you've heard it said sometimes, well, people come and say, well, I, you know, for all those years I read the Bible, before I got saved, I didn't understand one word. And you'll hear the preacher say, because you were reading somebody else's mail. Until we come to know Christ, this is a locked mystery. But Jesus said, blessed are your eyes because God unlocks the mystery. In Matthew 11, he, uh, I could just see Jesus. When we pray, we close our eyes because we tend to look around, don't we? When I was a little boy growing up in church, that was the thing we did. We'd close our eyes and open one and look around like this until my mama, pop, oh, okay. Jesus would always look up to heaven because he wasn't distracted by anything. Matthew 11, he said, I praise you, Father. Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and intelligent have re and revealed them to infants. I love that. Jesus said, you have locked the mystery of the faith, the mystery of the gospel to all those who come with their intellect and their own wisdom, their own conceit, their own pride. If you really want to win friends and influence people, go tell them what they don't know. Tell them you know something they don't know and they can't know it. And you'll just, you'll have a good time with them, won't you? The Bible teaches here, the Bible is a locked book and God has to unlock the, the, the mystery for you and me. Parables usually have one main point. Preachers love to put a lot of things in these words sometimes. We take a story and often run with one word out of a parable and we're, that's not really always the, the right thing to do. Parables mainly have one major point. That doesn't mean that there's not a lot of good things in there. Are you familiar with exegesis? The first time I heard that, I thought, what do they want to do to Jesus? Exegesis is the study of the scripture to, to systematically and carefully exegete the passage. To look at the words, do word studies, the origin of the words, to look at the phrases, what do they mean? What is the author's intent? Who is speaking? Who is he speaking to? To exegete a pa passage is to find what is there and be true to the text. The opposite of exegesis is eisegesis. Eisegesis is when I have a great thought and I want to put it in the Bible somewhere. It's when I want to add something to that and I try to find some passage in the scripture and I'll put my thoughts in there and actually I'm reading into the scripture. That's not what it said. I'll give you an example. Uh, David, when he went to the, the brook and, and picked up five stones, he's going to go fight against Goliath. Um, I've, known, I've known people that tried to even name those stones and tell you, tell you what those stones were or what their names were. That's reading into the scripture. A lot of people say, well, the, Goliath had four other family members that David and his men would eventually kill. That's true. But we don't have any record of the scripture saying that's what those five stones represent. David probably picked up five stones in case he missed four times. It's as simple as that. I've got to be careful. Uh, did I tell you about the great shirt? I think I did that my children got me for Christmas? I did, didn't I? It said, careful or you'll end up in my sermon. Uh, I don't know why they gave it to me. Can you understand why they gave that? I said, Jesus is reading into the Bible and saying something that God didn't intend for it to say. So we've got to be careful of that. In this parable, there's going to be four responses. You and I are in this parable. I had two older ladies one time. I went to school with their, their sons 
And uh, they were in a restaurant. They invited me over to sit with them. And I said, sure. They said, what have you been studying lately? What have you been preaching about and teaching? And I said, well, we're going to talk about the parable of the sower. They said, well, good. Tell us what it is. And I said, well, we're all in the parable of the sower. I wonder where you and I are. And I started out in the first one and I got there and I started out in the second one that it's going to describe. I got to the third one and they got up and left. They had gotten through with their food. They said, okay, thank you. See you later. They never got to number four. So I want to encourage you. We've got to get to number four tonight, okay? Look what he read to us. There's four different responses. First one is a no positive response whatsoever. Have you ever heard this phrase? It felt like I was talking to a brick wall. It is good, thank you, Steve. It is good when a preacher's preaching that somebody does this and you smile. It's okay to say amen. And if my eyes catch yours when I see you smiling, thank you for smiling, thank you for smiling. That is good. There are some times when a preacher preaches and it literally feels like you are speaking to a brick wall. And then some of the people that have been spoken to say, well, if you didn't sound like a brick wall, we might not be looking like a brick wall. But the first response to this parable is no response. And that always amazes me. How can someone hear about Jesus and remain the same? I don't think they can. Now, I realize that some people don't appear to respond. Have you ever had somebody come to know Christ, tell you about it later, and you might have shared uh, your testimony with them, and it looked like it had no impact whatsoever? But we couldn't see what the Holy Spirit was doing in their lives. I've had many people come back to me in a lot of years and say, you remember that time when you were talking about this and you were speaking about this? And I have to say, no. And they said, well, let me tell you what was happening inside my heart. And I can literally realize sometimes I couldn't have told it at all. But these people, the first response is no positive response at all. I mean, it looks like it bounces off of them. Doesn't do anything. The second one is going to be an emotional response. And this is a real important thing to look at. We come to Christ with our emotions. We worship him with our emotions. It's okay to raise your hand. Did you know that's in the Bible? I will that men pray everywhere, raising holy hands. That's the problem. We just raise the wrong kind of hands sometimes in the church. We need to raise, raise holy hands, giving thanks unto God. There ought to be emotion in our worship, not distraction. If I'm doing something to distract someone else, uh, we had a person one time come to the, to the worship leader and say, I want to tell you my spiritual gift is conducting and so this person walked down into the aisles and started conducting while the church service was going on. I have never read that there is a spiritual gift called conducting. It's not in Romans. It's not in Corinthians. I must have missed it somewhere. But there ought to be emotion. There ought to be emotion in our worship, emotion in our lives. But this is an earthly remote emotional response, and that's as far as it went. If someone has just been moved by the Holy Spirit, and never yielded to Christ, we're not saved yet. Thirdly, and this is where it's going to speak to uh, our world and where we're at tonight, I really believe this will be very clear to you, is a worldly response to this message Jesus gave. A worldly response by the pressures of, around us and the things that we're going through. And finally, number four is, and as I said, we're all one, two, three, or four. You might have been one before, two before, three before, but you're four Tonight, I hope. But the last one is a fruitful response. Let's see. Verse 3 says, listen to this. We don't need to take that word for granted. Jesus is saying, listen up. This is important. Pay attention. The sower went out to sow. A sower is a farmer. In that day, uh, they did plow with an animal and uh, that pulled a plow. But a lot of times it was broadcasting seed by hand. And if you've ever done that before, some of you have, you're going to grab seed and you're going to cast it out away from you. And there's going to be some of it that goes out pretty far, but there's going to be some of it that falls as you throw it. There's going to be some of it that slips out of your hand, falls down there close to you. It's just a, a very normal thing. So a sower, just picks that, picture that man or a woman that's out there with seed and throwing it out like this. And... Uh, that seed, uh, some of it, this parable says, as he was sowing, some fell beside the road and the birds came and ate it up. The path. 
Usually, if you're out in the pasture somewhere, you're going to see a path where animals walk. If you have cattle, it can be deer, it can be hogs, it can be different animals. But there is a distinct path where they walk because they, animals are have, uh, creatures of habit. They go to the same watering hole every day. Uh, you may say, well, I'm glad we're not animals. How many of you are sitting in the same seat you were sitting in last Sunday night? We are creatures of habit, aren't we? If you really want to do something on Sunday morning, go move one of the choir members' Bibles out of the seat while they're singing. It'll be fun when they come and their Bible's not there in their seat. We are creatures of habit and we do the same thing. But a path is hard ground. It's been packed down. It's not been plowed up. It's not been tilled. And so a seed very easily could lay just there on top of the ground. And he's describing this first group. It's just on a hard path. There's nothing, it's not getting down into the soil where it can get nutrients and water. Jesus said in John chapter 12, a seed actually dies before it gives life. We call it germination. It gives itself, it, it, it uh, gives itself to the soil. The soil, the way God has created it, provides moisture, nutrients. It changes and alters that seed to cause life to spring up. Did you know that scientists can recreate the elements of a seed and the substance of a seed in the laboratory, but do you know why it won't grow? Because it doesn't have something called the life principle. The life principle. They can put all of the substance that a seed has into a manufactured seed, but unless it has the life principle, and that's what's put there by God, it can't grow. So here... Some of it fell on the path, hard ground, makes sense. Birds came and ate it up. It didn't get down in the soil, it's right on top. So those birds come, hey, there's lunch. And they eat those seeds, fly away with it. Others fell on rocky ground. If you're a farmer and you've got rocks in your pasture, in your field, you think, man, how many of you have driven by out in the country and you've seen all uh, these rocks lined up in rock fences? You know where a lot of those rock fences came from? out of the field where the farmers wanted to plow and they moved them and took them out. Some of them fell on a rocky ground and it didn't have much soil. It had a little bit of soil and it says, and immediately, by the way, Mark is full of the word immediately. This is number 14, if you're counting. Sprang up because it had no depth depth of soil. Verse six, after the sun had risen, uh, those of you who remember your science, uh, Photosynthesis is the way God created the sun to cooperate with the soil, the nutrients, the moisture, and a miracle takes place. That life principle, the growth that God causes a seed to germinate, to come sprout up out of the, the soil, the sun to do its part, the moisture to do its part. It's an amazing thing when you look out at how plants can come alive and, and grow. But it says here that the sun and the plants need sun. But when the sun was risen on this plant, number two, it scorched it. It burned it up. Now, why did it burn them up and it doesn't other, burn the other ones up? Because they're among rocks. They don't have soil. They don't have the moisture that can keep them alive. And so this sun is too hot. It burns up. Immediately it sprang up. Because it had no depth of soil after the sun had risen, it was scorched because it had no root, it withered away. So number one, the birds came, took it away. Number two, they're on rocks, the, it burns up, it withers away, it doesn't grow. Verse seven, other seed fell among the thorns. You don't really want to plant your vegetable garden with a whole bunch of briars. It's not going to be fun trying to do that. And the, the thorns and the brush, we would call that in pastures today, takes away the nutrients, takes away the moistures, the moisture away from what you want your plants. So you don't want to really do it among thorns, but thorns come and they choke the word, it says, and it yields no crop. All of the good that is supposed to be given toward the seed goes toward the thorns, chokes it out, and it doesn't grow. That's number three. And verse eight, other seed fell into good soil. And if you've ever planted a garden one time, uh, we planted one, and I wanted to plant corn, and I planted it. Um, I planted it in rows, but instead of doing it in blocks, I planted it in like two or three long rows, and I planted them east and west. 
And they grew up and they were so pretty until a north wind blew. And the north wind bent them all over like this, all the way like this. And I thought, "Uh uh-oh, I'm not too much of a farmer. And then the south wind blew and it picked them back up and it bent them all over like this. And I said, I've got to learn how to do a garden a little bit better. Uh, another time my wife and I did a garden. This is years ago after we were first married and I put a two foot wire fence around to keep those rabbits out from eating all of our plants. All of you country people, how good was a two foot wire fence for rabbits? That's just their exercise in the morning. I mean, we came home and there's 15 rabbits in there eating every plant that we have in our garden because they just go bloop. Two feet is nothing for them to jump over that. I'm not too much of a farmer, but here that says there's good soil. And this, as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop, produced 30, 60, 100 fold. We'll talk about that. Notice verse nine though. He He was saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. That's real important. Jesus is saying this is a parable and not all of you are gonna get it. Not all of you are going to understand what I'm talking about. And so in verse 10, as soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the 12, began asking him about the parables. How many of you have do, done that before? A pastor preaches, a teacher teaches, and you catch them after class, after the service. Hey, can I talk to you about that? I've got a few questions. Can I ask you? That's exactly what they did to Jesus. Can we ask you about what you were teaching? And it says his followers, along with the 12, so this was more than just the apostles, began asking him about the parables. He was saying to them, to you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God. And here's where he's describing that to them. Blessed are your eyes because they see. God is showing you something that not everybody can understand. To you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God. But those who are outside get everything in parable so that he's going to quote now Isaiah 6. While seeing, they may see and not perceive. While hearing, they may hear and not understand. Otherwise, they might return and be forgiven. So Jesus here is quoting the Old Testament about this, that the words of God have to be revealed. They have to be enlightened for us. Now, God's not given us new revelation to add to the Bible today. When I say revealed, uh, I'm not talking about new revelation that we're supposed to have fourth John or second revelation. But he enlightens the scripture to us. Uh, When I first came to Christ at eight years old, I began reading the Bible. As soon as they taught me how to read well, I began reading the Bible. But I remember for years reading the Old Testament and I could not understand one word of it. Even the stories that I was taught, the Old Testament was just like it was uh, closed off to me. Why do you think that was? Jesus wanted me over Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He wanted me to grow up in him and to study about what he was doing inside my life. And I'll never forget when he began to open up the Old Testament to me and let me see those words and how they fit with the New Testament. But that's given. It's not something we train or we teach. Yes, We need teachers. Yes, we need to to observe the scripture and see interpretation, correlation, application, hermeneutics. We need all of that. But unless the Holy Spirit opens it up, we can't see it. Do you remember those little viewfinders? Does anybody ever remember those? Had little uh, slides you would put in and you would pull down the thing. And I remember often showing a little child that for the first time. And they were just amazed that this bright, beautiful, big picture could be inside that little thing. Well, that's the way it is with us. I remember reading these scriptures for the first time, the first few times, and all of a sudden it's like a light comes on and God just makes it very personable to you. The Bible says in Ephesians, the eyes of our understanding being enlightened That's when he makes these words real to you. And it's not just words on a page then. So that's the the passage in the, in the, the parable that he taught. Now here comes the uncommon part where Jesus begins to exegete, to exposit, to explain his own teaching. 
Verse 13 says, he said to them, do you not understand this parable? Well, how will you understand all the parables? That's kind of a rebuke, but it's an exhortation to have a heart that's ready to hear from God. Jesus is just telling them, get ready to understand. The sower sows the word, verse 14. Who is that? That's the farmer. That's Jesus. He's the one who sowed the word initially, but it's you and I also. We also are sowers of the word. We teach, we preach, we witness, we share the word of God. The sower is one who proclaims the word of God. Verse 15, these are the ones who are beside the road when the word is sown. And when they hear uh, immediately, there's number 15, Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. So Satan is the birds in the story. The birds come and find individual seeds on a hard path. They fly off with it. And Jesus said, there are people who hear the gospel message and they have no positive response whatsoever. It's just like a word, a bird comes and picks that seed up, flies off with it, and it is gone. Holly and I were in, uh, let's see, where were we? I think we were, we were in another country. And uh, we were going to get some food that was similar to our food here in America. Those of you who live in other countries, uh, now some of you have really good food in other countries. Uh, Arnold's, you have some good food in France, don't you? <laughs> so this doesn't apply. But there's other countries that you just long for, you know, a McDonald's hamburger sometimes because you haven't had one in so long. They have had shepherd's pie and they'd have all different kind of things. And she had got this big thing of uh, fish and it looked so good. She had, you know, the, the tartar sauce. She had the French fries and everything. And this huge bird came flying down and grabbed part of her food right out of her hands while she's walking there. I mean, it was almost to the point where I thought, I'm going to have to hit this bird with my fist to protect my wife or she's going to think that I'm, uh, you know, I'm not uh, standing up for my own wife. That's exactly what he's saying. It's Satan who when the word is spoken, these people's heart are not ready at all. They don't care. They don't want to listen. They have no heart toward hearing about Jesus. I'm seeing more and more people like that now than I've ever seen in my life, unfortunately. I grew up in a time, especially the town that I lived, at least people were respectful to you when you talked about Christ. I didn't have people talk ugly about Christ and about God. Now I see that more often. But that's just like Satan coming. Nope, snatch it away. That's number one. You may be here tonight, very literally. Search your heart. Do you have no response toward Jesus whatsoever? No response toward the gospel? You're here because somebody asked you to come or you're looking for something the crowd was looking for? That's number one. Be careful. Number two. He goes on and he says, these are those who beside the road, when the word is sown, when they hear it, immediately Satan comes, takes away the word which has been sown in them. There's hard ground. The seed doesn't penetrate to get nutrients. The soil, it cannot germinate. It cannot sprout. Uh, no positive response whatsoever. Verse 16, in a similar way, he uses that phrase to say, the same outcome is going to happen to group number two. These are the ones on whom the seed was sown on the rocky places, who when they heard the word, immediately, number 16, receive it with joy. Now, these people have an emotional response. I've had some people that, my goodness, when they heard the gospel, they were on fire. I mean, you thought this is going to be a giant. I'm witnessing Jonathan Edwards' conversion here. They're going to be a giant Christian, and it lasts about two weeks. It is like a flash in the pan. It is like an emotional response that somebody for just a few days or a few hours, they get so excited they want to tell everybody, but it doesn't last. Notice what he says here. These are those that are sown on rocky places. When they hear the word, they receive it immediately with joy and they have no firm root in themselves. These aren't the ones that go home and study and devour their scripture. These aren't the ones that go home and pray every day. These aren't the ones that can't wait to get back to church. These aren't the ones that can come and ask their brothers and sisters that are Christians, man, what happened to you when you first got saved? They don't do that. They are a fireball for just a little bit. What causes it to only be, because he uses the word in themselves, but are only temporary. Number two 
It's only temporary. The seed doesn't stay where it needs to get. When, and here's what it causes it. It says, when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately, number 17, they fall away. The word translated fall away is scandalizamai. That's the word originally that meant, if you've ever tried to trap an animal, you would put like a wire box up like this and you would put a stick and you hopefully that animal would come in, trip that stick and it would catch them and you've caught the animal. We get a word scandal from that. That's the kind of falling away. You get trapped away from the purpose of what this was. And so it says they fall away because they find out, oh, wait a minute. You mean if I'm going to stand up and be a Christian, I got to go get baptized and that's in front of my family and it's going to cost me something. You mean I've got business associates that they're going to find out I'm a Christian, I'm going to lose business. And you mean God's going to want me to stop doing some of the things I do on Saturday night and there's going to be people not speak as well about me in some circles? These people, they immediately have an emotional response, but it doesn't last because they count the cost and they say, no, it's not worth it to me. They have an emotional response, but it doesn't last. And Jesus said, it's like a seed that's put there for just a little while, but it doesn't have good soil. It can't germinate. It can't grow. That's number two. I've known people like this. They are excited for two weeks. They are the, a Christian on fire for two weeks, they think. But they're really not born again. All they had was an emotional response. There are denominations that play on that. They play on an emotional, sensational service to try to get people emotionally connected. We come with our emotions when we're saved and we're born again. I remember my tears, and they were real. But it wasn't a flash in the pan. I was never the same again. So number two, persecution, affliction because of the word. They don't have any root, and they say, no, I can't do this. There are among rocks. There's not enough soil. There's not enough place for the, the nutrients, the moisture. We've got to make sure that we don't fizzle. We've got to make sure we're not a flash in the pan. Verse 18. And others are the ones on whom the seed was sown among the thorns. Those are the ones who have heard the word. Now, there's three different things that Jesus is about to say in this third group. And I, do, I just want to ask you, just to look at them closely with me for a moment. The ones sown among thorns, these are the ones who've heard the word. Notice all three of them have heard the word so far. Is the word ineffective? No, the Bible tells us the preaching of the word or the preaching of the cross is to them that are perished, it's foolishness, but to those that are saved, it's the power of God. It's not the word's power that's ineffective, but it's the heart of man that's not being receptive to the word. So it says here, this third group, but the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches and desires for other things enter in, choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. These are the seeds among the thorns. They hear the same word, but in their life, they have so much worry they have so much anxiety, so much stress, so much care. Some lie and trust in money. Well, if I could just get a better job and if I could make more money, my life would be better. And literally, that's what they're hoping for. They have earthly wants and desires. And guys, I believe that that speaks to where we're at right now. We are living in a country that has been blessed so greatly. Our lives are so much more comfortable. It's easier. And you may say, well, Mike, you don't know where I live. I don't have a home and I don't have enough to eat all the time. Well, I'm sorry for that. And I, I pray for you every day. When my wife and I pray before we eat a meal, I always say, Lord, be with those who don't have enough. Help them and help me to help them however we can. But we in America have been blessed so, so greatly. We've got to be careful that we don't reject the words of God for the cares of this world, for the conveniences of this world, for the easy life. Teddy Roosevelt, 
I want you to listen to this quote. This is really, really thought-provoking to me. Teddy Roosevelt, our president a long time ago, said, the things that will destroy America are, listen to this, peace at any price, prosperity at any cost, safety first instead of duty first, the love of soft living, and the get-rich-quick theory of life. Boy, when I read that, I thought, wow. Is that not what a lot of people are seeking for today? Man, if I can just, my ship comes in and I just get all this money, that's what I'm after and it's going to make my life great. Or soft living. My goodness, we have it so easy compared to most people that have ever lived. Soft living. Do we want that so badly? that we think government has to give it to us and we think that no matter what, we have to have that. We demand our rights. We don't have rights for those things. He said that safety has to come. Well, I just want everybody safe. Who doesn't? But he said safety becomes before duty. Do you want someone, when you call 911, to come help you if somebody's breaking into your home? They have a duty to do that. What if the police said, you know, I just really don't want to get there. They might hurt me. We've got to, we've got to make sure we have our duty. I honor those people who go into the military. Man, I, I'm thankful for them who stand in harm's way for you and me right now. The reason why we don't have a, a foreign army right now attacking us is because God has blessed us to have somebody that has duty. And they've not sold out just to protect themselves. I thought that was very telling there. This third group, they have a response to the preached word, the gospel, but they don't let it come down inside their heart because they give a worldly response. I would rather keep my soft life. I would rather keep my money and the pursuit of my money. And by the way, I've got desires for a lot of other things too. I want these things and I want desire more than I want everything else. The framers of our Constitution said, actually, when they signed their name on there, the Declaration of Independence, they were signing their life on the line. Did you know that? We commit our lives and our fortunes. They didn't know if they were going to be killed for that. There was duty involved. Jesus says uh, through Paul in Philippians 4.11, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. We don't hear that taught too much anymore. We get, we get taught you need to be the best you can be so you can get more, provide for your family to have more. Some of the most godly Christians I know are wealthy. Some of the most ungodly people I know are wealthy because there's a huge temptation to trust in those riches. A worldly response. These people... No, it would be too, I would worry about too much if I did that. It would be too stressful. The depression, anxiety, and the, the seed gets choked out. And if we're not careful, and I want to get real personal if I can. Guys, if we still, if we keep listening to all of the news that's on our television and social media, I want to tell you something. Those are thorns, and they will choke your relationship with Christ. They will do it. I've seen it in my own life. I've had to turn so much of that stuff off. It's okay to show pictures to people, of course. But if we sit there and listen to it and we worry and we get affected by it so much that our relationship with Christ is tainted or it is harmed, it is lessened, it is quieted. How did Paul say, I learned to be content in all circumstances? He had to be in some of those circumstances. I'm content when I'm full, but I'm also content when I'm empty. Oh, you don't want to ever consider being empty. The psalmist said, it's good that I've been afflicted. I said that to a woman one time. Yeah, I heard you were sick. Yeah, I said, I thank the Lord for this sickness. She said, you do what? That's of the devil. You should never, you know, when she went on to this tirade. And I said, no, because it caused me to pray more. It caused me to seek to be closer to Christ. So it actually turned out for good. He took something bad, turned it for good. See that cross behind me? That's the worst thing that could ever happen. That's the baddest thing. That's bad grammar, isn't it? But that's the best thing that ever happened. God can take the worst and make the best. Number three are, are stones. 
Hebrews 13, 5. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money. Money is not the root of all evil. I hope you have a lot more than I do. But the love of it is, and it can steer you away from Christ. It can choke your relationship. Um, being content with what you have, for he himself has said, I'll never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you, so that we may confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? I think we need to quote that verse, Hebrews 13, 5, a whole lot. Whatever happens in politics, whatever happens in my community, whatever happens around me, I'm not going to be afraid what man can do to me because Jesus said, I'll never desert you. I'll never forsake you. I'll never leave you. And I can be content. Proverbs 30, verse 8. Keep deception and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. How many people do you hear pray that today? Don't give me too much money, God. But don't give me poverty too. Listen to this, the psalmist says, feed me with the food that is my portion. Another version says, that's just convenient for me, just right for me. Don't give me too much, don't give me too little, that I not be full and deny you and say, who's the Lord? You remember the guy that said, I tore down my barns and I built bigger barns to keep all my stuff. I got so much stuff and I say to my soul, take thine ease, eat, drink and be merry. You got so much stuff. And God comes to that man, he says, thou fool. Tonight, your soul's required of you. And who are all these things going to be that you've stored up? We've got to be careful. We don't let the thorns of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, it deceives us. Well, if I got plenty, no, you could have plenty. And you can die and go to hell. Give me not food that's too much or too little that I would say, who is the Lord? Or that I might stand in want and steal and profane the name of my God. How many of us, have quoted James chapter one, verse, tw uh, verse two, count it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. How many of you the other night, uh, when you saw on the news what happened in Washington, you said, I'm gonna count it all joy. No, we don't do that, do we? Why not? We don't want anything bad to happen and there were terrible things that happened there and there, I'm not being political at all, but uh, when you break God's word, it's wrong, whoever does it, me first, anybody else. But I think we've been fighting the wrong way in our country. We need to learn how to fight like Christ fought. He tells us in Hebrews 4, 16, Therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. One version says you can come boldly under the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Are we in need in our country? We are. God's saying, I'm waiting for you, son or daughter, to come into my throne room. I want you to come in and you can come confidently because my son's paid the price for you to come through the door. I want you to come into my throne room. I've got help for you in your time of need. I believe right now is an exciting time to be a Christian in the church. That's why I sent that email out encouraging you, come and support your church. And you've come here tonight to do that. Those that are tuned in, you've come to do that. Thank you. God bless you for doing that. We've got an important time right now where there are people more ready to hear the gospel because they're afraid. They're afraid what tomorrow's going to be like in our country. They're afraid what's going to happen to their family. And this is an opportunity. They're going to be looking to us. Do you have something I don't have? And we need to tell them about number four. Number one hadn't got us in the parable yet. Number two hadn't got us in the parable. Number three hadn't got us in the parable. If we love money, we worry about the world, or we put our earthly desires ahead of everything. Well, at least I have this, and at least I have this, and, at least, and I want this. In the Old Testament, there was false teaching that people said, well, as long as we got enough food to eat and we're healthy and we're safe, everything's good. But they were worshiping a false god. No, you can have health, you can have food to eat, and you can have protection and peace and be lost. So we got to get to number four, and that's where we're at, verse 20. Those are the ones on whom the seed was sown on the good soil. They hear the word and accept it. The Bible says, those that were appointed unto eternal life believed. 
These are the elect. These are the ones that God has chosen before the foundation of the world. This is you. You're number four. Those two ladies in the restaurant, they didn't ever get to number four. They left on three. I wanted to tell them about the good soil. The good soil is when they hear the gospel, they say yes. They receive the seed into the soil. They've been waiting for that seed. And there's moisture and nutrients and that seed can die and germinate and then sprout up and bring forth fruit and bear whatever kind of seed the plant that it's supposed to do. That soil's been waiting on it. They can't wait to receive that preached message of Jesus Christ. At eight years old, when I told that lying church and I went to my mom and said, does God like it when we lie? I already knew the answer to that, but I was trying to tell her, what do I do? My heart is killing me. She said, go to your room and tell Jesus. An eight-year-old little boy who couldn't read any of the scripture hardly, couldn't tell you anything, cried the biggest tears you've ever seen. I can take you back to the spot of ground. I said, God, forgive me. I don't want to be somebody that is against you. I love you. Would you please forgive me? And I have never been the same since that day. Because God had mercy and he gave my heart to be fertile soil. And that heart received the word of God. John 1, 12, but as many as received him, to them gave you the power, the right to become a child of God, a son or daughter of God. We receive the word of God. It doesn't bounce off. We don't say, no, it's too hard. The cares of this world. We don't say, I'm going to trade off. I, I, I don't think I'll follow Jesus because I want to worry about these things and I want to desire these things and I want to let these things bother me too much. No, we say, hear my Lord Jesus. Have your way with me. That's the soil that says, come on in. Come on in. Are you in number four here tonight? You can be before you leave. There are a lot of folks that would love to talk with you. I'll pray with you right up here. I'll stay till everybody's gone. I've always told you that because there's nothing more important for me in my life than to share the gospel and to look for people who have fertile soil that receive that word. It ends and it says, they accept it. They hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. Don't worry about 30, 60, or 100. God will bear fruit through you if you'll let him to the maximum he wants to. Don't compare yourself with somebody else. Don't worry about it. So I want to close tonight with three ways, by the way, you can tell if somebody's number four. There's three ways you can tell if somebody's number four of the good soil. First of all, Jesus said in John chapter eight, verse 33, if they continue in my word, they're my disciples indeed. They're not a flash in the pan for two weeks or on fire for Christ and then don't have anything to do with him. They continue in the word, John eight thirty three. Number two, Matthew seven sixteen. you will know them by their fruits. How do they live? How do their children live? What is their lifestyle? What is their life producing? Is it bearing fruits? You'll know them by their fruits. And number three, Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples when you have love one for another. They'll know us by our love. I've talked to atheists and they can argue all types of things, but the thing they can't argue is the love of God. I believe the love of God conquers all. So what soil should we have? We've got to be number four. Not a, not a no response, not an emotional response, not an earthly response, but a fruitful response. What does that mean for us? Here's the takeaway. Number one, make sure your trust is in Christ. Don't trust in yourself, money, government, education, or your family. Make sure your trust is nothing of this world, but it's in Christ. Number two, hold fast to God's word. What would it, good would it be for me to, to memorize those verses in the topical memory system in 1980 and not live them? It's no good for me to quote them. We need to run to the Bible. And during this time right now, uncertainty in our country, we need to be Christians shining brighter than we've ever shined before because there's people looking. Show me something better. Number three, set your affections on godly things. Make sure that we don't sell out for pleasure or entertainment. Soft living shouldn't be the first thing in our life. Beware of social media and the news. Man, the Bible teaches us that we need to hear the truth. His word is true. And a lot of folks aren't telling the truth. That'll distract you. It'll discourage you. Number four, pray more than ever. When, God's, when the going gets tough, God's people pray. 
God's people pray. Pray more than you ever have before. Enter into that throne room. God is waiting for us to come into his, his throne room. And number five, be salt and light in this fallen world. Right now, we've got opportunities to share the difference Jesus has made in our life, and there's people ready to hear. The fields are white for harvest right now. I'm excited even in this troubled time in our land. And then number six, I believe the scripture says love conquers all. I want to encourage you, love big. Love big. You love people so much they can't help but want to serve the same Savior you've got. They won't understand why you'll love them that way. You don't want something from them. You're not trying to get them to do something. They won't understand how you could love them unconditionally with, with all your heart. And when they ask you, you can say, because somebody loved me that way. And he loves you that way. One, two, three. Thank you for staying till number four. You didn't run out on number three because that's where we got to make sure we're at. If you're not there tonight, you can be. Let's pray as Mark comes and leads us in our closing hymn. The sower and the seed, dear Jesus, you taught that parable a long time ago, but it speaks to us here today because I need to be careful that I don't let the deceitfulness of what I could gain in this world, it would be like me trying to keep a job but not being faithful to your word. To not let the worries of this world, Lord, if I watch the news all day long and listen to what everybody said, I would be worried about everything. The sky would truly be falling. And help me, Lord, to not desire things that are not of you. Let my delight be in you and in your word. I pray for all of us here tonight, Lord. There may be somebody that's number one. They've heard the gospel before, but it bounced off. They may have been a flash in the pan that for just a little while received it with an emotional response. They might have been somebody that received it with joy, but it just lasted a little while and didn't stay. Oh God, let them not leave this building tonight without knowing that you've given them good soil. It receives you and says yes to you. I thank you for your words of Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.